Welcome to the Culinary Saijiki Podcast. My name is Allison Whipple, and twice a month I'll bring you a conversation with a fellow haiku practitioner about the way that food and the seasons show up in their haiku practice. Visit www.culinarysaijiki.com to listen to the podcast, read long-form essays on these topics, and sign up to join the podcast conversation. You can also support the project at buymeacoffee.com slash culinarysaijiki. Enjoy the show. All right, this is episode four of the Culinary Saijiki podcast. I'm having a terrible time keeping track of what number we're on, and we're still in the single digits, but that's just sort of the way my brain works. I am recording from the bedroom in the house where I'm currently living out in Missouri, and I have gotten so many messages from concerned friends about the flooding in the St. Louis area. It is raining again today, and um, there are definitely some people who have had it pretty rough, but fortunately, we are uh, not among those people, so I'm just pretty relieved. There have been some minor inconveniences, but nothing too serious. Thank goodness. Over on the Culinary Saijiki blog last week, I did a post on Summer Food Seasonal Kigo. Seasonal Kigo is an oxymoron, isn't it? But uh, summer food season words that were debatably summer, that I was having trouble definitively saying these are definitely summer Kigo. So if you want to go over there and uh, offer up some of your thoughts in the comments, I would really love to have some discussion on this topic. Uh, before I introduce Christine, I do want to apologize in advance for the sound. So what happened was Christine was one of the first people I wanted to book on the podcast, and she also had one of the most hectic schedules. And, you know, this was at the time when I was moving, so things were pretty hectic. I was trying to record in person, and we had decided we're going to meet at a restaurant, Nancy's Sky Garden. There's uh, two or three locations amazing, wonderful food. And uh, we were going to meet there. And the one near Christine's house um, had a nice patio. And we're like, we will record outside. Well, the one and only day we had to record was so windy that recording outside was not going to be possible. So we went inside and we got there right when they opened. It was super early. It was super quiet. And we're like, this is going to work. And uh, things just got progressively louder and louder. And so that's why I'm having this uh, episode sent to be professionally edited and mastered. And I have to do this intro before I send it off to them because they're going to put it all together. Nice people that they are. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. I am trusting that it's going to be okay. You know, these aren't miracle workers. There's probably going to be some background noise. And so I apologize. Lesson super duper learned. Uh, <laughs> pretty rookie mistake, but that will not happen again. I still loved this conversation with I, that I had with Christine. I think you can hear her pretty well, and I hope you still get something out of it. So Christine is the uh, final of the Austin Haiku Group interviews that I did, and she was my most recent poetry friend. I guess there is one person who joined our Haiku Group at my very last meeting before I left, but in terms of people I'd known for more than four hours. <laughs> Christine was the most recent in my uh, literary circle. You know, I'd seen her name in print a bunch because we've been published in a lot of the same things. And I'm sure we crossed paths a whole 
bunch. It's hard to be a poet in Austin and not cross paths with the, you know, most of the other poets at some point in your life. But you know, readings are big, parties are big. So it goes. Um, so I didn't feel I really got to know her until I joined the haiku group. And then I did. And I'm always grateful that even though I didn't know her as long as some of the other people I've talked to, that I still got that chance to meet her and work with her in person. And I genuinely hope our paths cross soon. So with that, let's get to the episode. Uh, some ways you can support the podcast. Obviously, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash culinary and chip in for the various expenses that go into that. Also, I'm still looking for someone to write us some theme music and transition cues. So if you know anyone who would like to get paid to write us a little 30 second jingle and a, you know, five second transition or something even shorter than that, please do let me know. You know where to find me and uh, all relevant links will be in the show notes. All right, let's get to the episode. Christine Wink-Harrison grew up in New Mexico and Texas and spent her work life in Africa and Europe. She retired in Texas and lives in the hill country where she dabbled in nonfiction, writing columns about food and travel. For four years, she wrote a food column, Hill Country Tastes, for a North Shore online publication. She began attending writing workshops in far west Texas and switched to poetry about 10 years ago. In recent years, she has been writing more haiku and related styles, many influenced by food. Her poems have been published in the Texas Poetry Calendar, Frog Pond, Lifting the Sky, Southwestern Haiku and Haiga, and various online journals. She enjoys cooking, herbs, nature, hiking, studying Spanish, and making cards. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. Would you like to read your first two for us? Okay. Heat wave. The fig trees, one jar, jam harvest. Heat wave, the fig trees, one jar, jam harvest. Garden in a box, the seeds scattered in the packing. Garden in a box, the seeds scattered in the packing. Thank you. So I put these two together. I always try to group them thematically because they speak to me of many of the challenges that come with trying to have a garden. We're recording this before Krista's episode airs, but she had a whole series about her fig and her loquat trees and the squirrels getting to all of them. <laughs> so can you tell me a little more about the experiences that influenced these two haiku? Well, we had a very large fig tree that we didn't plant but had access to. And um, I was just fascinated that I could go out there and get the figs and when they came in season, and almost no one else wanted to. I don't know if it was too much work, but I got so many figs that I didn't know what to do with them. I gave a lot away. And then one year we had a strange weather pattern and we did not get many figs at all. And so that kind of was an inspiration on that particular poem. The second one, uh, one of my neighbors likes to have these gardens. They're mostly to grow her tomatoes, but they come in a box. And so I was seeing the results of her kind of in-progress pro project and seeing how this might play out with your garden not coming exactly like you intended in its box. It makes me think about so many of the challenges I've had with gardening. I did, like many people, I did a vegetable garden in 2020 and uh, 
caterpillars just ate all of my squashes and <laughs> something dug up all of my onions of all things. It was very interesting. And um, do you find that gardening is one of those activities that really influences your haiku? Yes, I don't garden as much as I did. I do like to garden with uh, native plants till we can try to promote the plant life and the insects and pollinators and all of the things that we need. But I tend to grow mostly herbs, and they're kind of forgiving. They, <laughs> they don't get attacked by creatures so often, and uh, you can grow them in pots and you can grow them in even the terrible hill country, rocky soil. I can manage some herbs. So I've kind of steered away from some of the other gardening in favor of herb gardens. What's your favorite herb? Oh my goodness. I do like rosemary, partially in terms of using it, but also it really is a great plant for the Southwest because it is very nice in the landscape, except for we had such a frost year before last that it really killed almost all the rosemary plants. But that would be one favorite. I definitely like basil and uh, mint, and some, except mint can outdo itself, but some of the herbs that you can use for cooking. Rosemary is one of my favorites, and actually the way I learned at the house where I had a garden, I learned that my soil was dead because I couldn't keep a rosemary alive, and I was just like, what? It's rosemary. It's all over. It's all over. What is wrong with me? And then John suggested maybe your soil is dead, and I tested it, and it was completely inert, and uh, so I spent a long time putting it back together, but yeah, that was a... Rosemary was that sort of proverbial canary in the coal mine for me. But I also, I love sage. I love sage, and I wish there were more recipes that included it, because that is absolutely one of my favorites. Well, Italians like their sage, so we might... We do. <laughs> All right, do you want to read your next two? Okay. Wine tasting, under the stars, fuzzy astronomy. Wine tasting, under the stars. Fuzzy astronomy. Coffee beans were. My husband's phone call grinds to a halt. Coffee beans were. My husband's phone call grinds to a halt. And I put these two together because they're <laughs> beverage related. <laughs> and I try to discuss them in order, but especially uh, intrigued by the second one about the, the coffee beans. I know I find myself, I think most of my culinary haiku are about coffee. <laughs> So was that a particular moment one morning? Yes, you had a coffee grinder that made quite a bit of noise. And my husband talks on the ham radio sometimes in the morning. And so I noticed that my coffee grinder was kind of interrupting some of his out-of-the-house communications. And so I went and found a, it's a new model that claims to be quiet, and it is considerably quieter. So I, I'd say I have a quieter coffee grinder, although I also have a coffee grinder from Bosnia that you grind by hand, and that doesn't make any noise. However, you got to do a lot of grinding for a cup of coffee. <laughs> I am intrigued by the grinder that makes, the hand grinder that makes no noise whatsoever. Like, John has an antique grinder from Germany. It's like a hundred years old and he grinds coffee with it every morning and it is a, exactly 150 rounds to grind the beans to make a pot of coffee and it's not terribly noisy but I'm like I'm marveling. Do you know how it makes no noise the Bosnian coffee grinder? Well it's like a giant pepper grinder. It's like they make them in Turkey and other places in the Middle East and they're usually brass 
and they're about an oh, inch or two of diameter and kind of tall, about four or five inches. And you just grind it in this metal cylinder. So it really, the only noise you would have is just that small amount of grinding noise. My other one that's on the quiet side is completely electric and supposedly state-of-the-art, but it, it's not completely quiet, but much quieter than some of the grinders. Yeah, when you describe it, I can totally understand how that would take so much work. <laughs> and I have, I've gotten lazy in my relationship. I no longer, I'm just like, I can't make coffee for myself anymore. It's always better than uh, when someone else does it. So I love that story. And this the second haiku also just made me think of like, like it's morning and you're not awake and you're like, and then you hear someone grinding the coffee and you're like, oh, <laughs> gotta stop what I'm doing and go get that liquid happiness. <laughs> It's all about the smell. That's the real reason I grind is to get that aroma. Yeah, this smell makes a huge difference. Uh, so are you a fan of the Texas wine country? I would say yes. There was a time when I felt compelled to visit every winery. And <laughs> I, I had the list of them all. And then uh, they started expanding so quickly that they're way, way ahead of me. I, I probably have visited a very few compared to the total number that exists these days. But I was kind of inspired that in this case on this um, wine tasting haiku because we would have a sister's trip. My sister and two other sisters would get together um, once a year or something and have three or four days together. And some of this uh, kind of activity was part of our <laughs> routine. <laughs> More bottles went on the trip than came back. <laughs> I also, I remember when I first moved here and it was, I don't know, there were like eight wineries on the Texas winery map or something, yeah, yeah. and now there's now it's a huge pullout map with multiple sides and a special insert, and I'm just like, this is this is too much. <laughs> yeah. Do you know much about astronomy or is it just something that you sort of you sort of like to casually glance at the stars? Well, I did I've I've always been interested in it, but I never studied it, although a few years ago I got one of these uh great courses on astronomy. So I I'd say I have a smattering of, of information, but I, I do find it really uh, an intriguing topic. I tried once to do an, um, one of those Coursera courses on astronomy. And it was often through like, I think Yale or something, and it was like real astronomy where you had to use calculus. And I didn't, I don't think I even lasted two weeks. I was like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> do you have a favorite wine? I vary. I used to be quite a Cabernet Sauvignon person, and now, and Riesling, dry Riesling. But now I am kind of in a rosé, dry rosé, and Sauvignon Blanc, dry Sauvignon Blanc routine. And I like the Torrentes also because that's a, a white that's kind of like a Riesling. I, I like the dry German and the Alsatian Rieslings, but they're not so readily available. And uh, I don't like sweet wine. <laughs> no, but a lot of those, yeah, we have the wrong climate for a lot of those German wines. Yeah. They're good for, good for a lot of others, but not great for this. <laughs> All right, do you want to read your next two? Okay. Warm shortcake with a side of ice cream, strawberry moon. Warm shortcake with a side of ice cream, strawberry moon. Mulberry harvest. Her search for a recipe to tame the wildness. Mulberry harvest. 
her search for a recipe to tame the wildness. And I grouped these together. First, they both reference berries in some way. <laughs> um, but there's something very, for both of them, there's something, you know, foraging related. So mulberries, they can be cultivated, but I know that near John's family farm in Illinois, there's lots of caches of wild berries. And so that sort of made me think of that in particular. Um, so was this was the second haiku? I guess I should have just put them in a different order. <laughs> I, I grouped them sort of in the order you sent them. But was the second haiku, was this about foraging or did it have some other connotation? Well, the kind of backstory is that my mother gave me a little mulberry tree that she got somewhere in North Texas and it was in a pot for several years and then it got bigger and I planted it in the ground and I really didn't know if it was going to do anything but we kind of wanted some shade in that spot and after a few years I was very surprised it started producing berries and at the beginning I thought this was really nice and would go out and pick them but over time it's become kind of something that it's a bit of a problem because the berries fall off and they go everywhere and they bring all the birds, which is good and bad because we know <laughs> what that means. And uh, then I started picking them. And then sometimes to me, they have that wild taste that I wanted to use them, but to just have them in their natural state didn't taste good to me. So then I was trying to think, what can I do with these? I felt like I was wasteful leaving them on the ground. I tried to get everybody I could to come and pick them, but they didn't want them either, because it's quite a lot of work to pick them. And um, this year, I just gave up. I didn't even try, but I did find that they worked better if I wanted to use them sort of in a cobbler type thing, especially if you were to add another kind of fruit, mix them in. But that was the challenge of what to do with those <laughs> mulberries. <laughs> so it wasn't, I've never had a mulberry. What do they taste like? Well, they are a little bit like a blackberry, and uh, like I said, they to me, they have this kind of wild taste, and I guess I'd rather have a raspberry <laughs> or a strawberry. <laughs> yeah, so that's my initial impression of that haiku was is that it was something about, you know, these are beautiful berries, but something about them is not, you know, maybe it's a little on the bitter side or the tart side. Yeah. Yeah. But I can definitely see that. I don't think I've ever seen mulberries before, but, you know, I've seen caches of other berries. There's a choke cherry tree out near John's family farm, and those are a little bit of work. And he did a syrup with those last year, but you definitely needed to add, like it was delicious, but you also kind of really needed to add sugar to it. <laughs> and the, uh, they had black raspberries as well. Uh, those were good though. Like those were better than store-bought. The, the wild ones are definitely better. And I think, it's, I think it's very interesting how sometimes the wild things can taste better and sometimes we just don't have the palate for them for whatever reason. <laughs> So is a strawberry moon, is that July? Well, we had a strawberry moon last night. Oh, we did? Yeah, oh, yes. so it's June. Yes, we did have one. But, well, it's named, I believe, for the time of year, you know, the, the Native Americans, I think, named the moons that many people use those names. And I think that may be from the source of it, but I think it's because of time of strawberry season. Yeah. But we did have a strawberry moon last night. Oh my gosh. But it was covered by Saharan dust. <laughs> I wasn't even, I haven't, I try to like make notes. I'm trying to 
keep track for my own study of all of the names of all of the full, full moons and I just sort of this one totally passed me by um, but yeah it was this dust is the first time someone was like Saharan dust all the way and I'm like you're joking no <laughs> it's a thing yeah it is a super thing so was there a particular moment that inspired your shortcake haiku or was this more maybe of one from like uh, just sort of like a memory of a general summer experience pretty much a probably memory memory kind of thing because my mother always made strawberry shortcake that I thought was as good as it gets so I guess that would be a childhood memory of strawberry shortcake no, that's lovely. I never liked it growing up um, because it would just like, I didn't like how it would get soggy. <laughs> it would get soggy so fast. But I sort of, I think if you use like, I think my, my family would just sort of use more of like a sponge cake type thing. Oh, and my mother made it with uh, more like biscuits. In fact, I think the recipe was on the biscuit book. And that, that makes sense. That makes so much sense. Yeah, I think that would make for a way, uh, way better experience. <laughs> All right, would you like to read uh, the last two of your haiku for us? Okay. Unpronounceable, the ingredients in my chocolate heart. Unpronounceable, the ingredients in my chocolate heart. After the French course, the final test in five courses. After the French course, the final test in five courses. I assume the first haiku is about Valentine's Day, yes? Yes. I have collected a surprising amount of Valentine's haiku, uh, many of which that relate to chocolate hearts and how bad they are for you. Uh, was there a particular chocolate heart that inspired this haiku? Well, I guess I have to say you inspired it because you sent us an email that there was at the Haiku Universe Valentine's project. They were going to have a haiku for every hour for Valentine's. And so I said, well, what can I come up with? <laughs> so that's what I came up with. But I actually have been uh, looking at ingredients for quite some time. And I know chocolate can be quite healthy in certain types of chocolate and amounts. And so I guess that probably was in the back of my mind about which chocolates might be a little better than, than the others. And of course, at Valentine's, chocolates everywhere. <laughs> I did not. I did not realize I'd inspired that. That was that was a nice little surprise. I just. I think I just sort of sent that off. Like, hey, everybody, <laughs> let's all do this. But yeah, a lot of. I get a. I don't get because again, I'm just sort of collecting these. People don't necessarily send them, but I'm sort of fascinated the number of people who write haiku about chocolate hearts in particular. And I also, you know, it's it's very like. It's a nice literal haiku. I'm a very literal person, right? But I think it could actually be taken to really speak to the complicated nature of, of uh, Valentine's Day and the way that many people feel it's like an obligation or the way that people are generally bad at, you know, communicating or things uh, related to that. I <laughs> agree. All right, so I'm super fascinated by the last haiku. Was this a French language course, a French cooking course? It would have probably been inspired by French language because I took Spanish in school and then I did take a year of French in college. And I would say I ended up over all the years 
really knowing a lot of words in French, but they're all food words related to menus and cookbooks. <laughs> so my language skills in France are very leaning towards the culinary side. <laughs> I think so many of us. That's I took French for like four years in middle school and high school, and I would say most of what I know is culinary. But I think that's really worth thinking about because so many of our common culinary terms really actually do come from the French culinary tradition. Like France is, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a funny person because I like, I joke, I'm like, ugh, I don't like European food. It has no spices. <laughs> um, but it does, you know, it's like, it's got these impressive techniques and these incredible use of herbs. And yeah, so many of our techniques and so many of our common words, even in English, are just loan words from the French. Yeah, and then, of course, the um, traditions of the menu and your courses and, you know, so many of the culinary traditions come out of the French sauces and the French school of cooking. So but I, I would say I've really done quite well on those culinary <laughs> words in French. But when it comes to the verbs, I'm lacking <laughs> Yeah, no. Verbs in English are enough for me. My Japanese is just being done on Duolingo, but I really, uh, I really appreciate how generally easy, uh, comparatively to like French or Spanish, Japanese verb tenses are. I'm a fan. <laughs> um, the other, the other thing about this haiku that's kind of is just striking me now. I'm like, oh, courses, courses in food, courses in, <laughs> and like, how many courses would you need to actually master the French language? <laughs> I guess maybe a double meaning there. Yeah. What is your, do you have a favorite French food? Oh, I really like crepes, whether they're the savory or the sweet ones. I'd have to say that's a favorite. And cocavang, the chicken and wine sauce, that's always been one of my favorites. Oh, the pastries, well, you just go to the pastry counter and the... Trying to think of what the ones I really, really like. Eclairs. Mm, the eclairs yeah. are really spectacular, but Babo Rome, you know, the French know how to do those pastries really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for me, it really, it really just boils down to a, a baguette and some good cheese, and that's all. That's just, that's, that's all I would need. And, uh, oh, and proper croissant. Uh, John's sister is a trained pastry chef, and she, she just made everyone croissant for Christmas. And it was lovely. I adore French pastry. And I do, I, baking is my preferred form of uh, food making, but baguette and croissant, those are a whole nother level. After about 14 years of making bread, I'm finally getting okay-ish at baguette. <laughs> But just okay. Uh, if I need to impress somebody, I'm just gonna go to Central Market and buy one. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are some some pretty good ones out there available. There's also some that are not too good. A poor representation of uh, croissant, but there are some good ones. Yes, I'm. I've gotten very picky about my croissants uh, ever since the first time I had some made just fresh immediately for Christmas. That was a delight. <laughs> yeah, we were. We love to do, John and I have started doing a lot of food-based gifts, and we do more like canning. But yeah, getting those Christmas croissants was just perfect. <laughs> so do you have any uh, last thoughts about food and haiku, or haiku as a writing practice, or food in general? Ooh. 
Well, I guess I just feel more inspired. I really am glad to see her doing something um, like on the blog and with the podcast with food. Because obviously I have so much interest in food from actually cooking it, eating it, and, and then writing about it, reading about it. That it, it's really encouraging to see other people want to kind of look at it in that direction as well. And uh, I look forward to, to being a part of your blog and being a contributor to some of the poems sometimes. And I guess maybe I, I should look at some of my drafts. I have had some that I've sent out for submission, um, but I have many that I probably could maybe potentially go somewhere, but need a little work. So I guess I won't give up on food writing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should not give up on food writing. Oh, I did have one last question that just occurred to me that I keep meaning to ask people and then keep forgetting. Do you have a sense, and again, you've written haiku for a while and you have so many, do you feel that there's a particular food or aspect of cooking or growing food that you feel like shows up more often? Like I talked about how I have so many coffee haiku. <laughs> oh, well... I think people are getting more interested in, in knowing where the food comes from and in maybe growing it. And we might, maybe there might be something of a trend to people writing about their own experiences in like farmers markets or actually gardening or other cultures. Of course, that's a, a really interesting aspect of any kind of food writing is the cultural aspect of of food because there's so many just traditions and now the more and more you see the blending of traditions and so I'm thinking that there's a lot of opportunity for people to explore food in, in their haiku it might become more popular but I guess it's always been there <laughs> I think it's always been there and is there a specific avenue of food or a type of food or an approach to food that you've you feel you end up exploring over and over in haiku? I guess maybe herbs. I come back to herbs. I'm in an herb society, and I've been interested in herbs for many years. So I, I suppose that does kind of come back, although I've, I've had a few coffee ones and wine ones as well. <laughs> I haven't had any beer, beer haiku. I might have to look at that. <laughs> Well, uh, Agnes, our uh, our first uh, podcast guest, she definitely she's got a couple beer haikus. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I know that we both have a lot going on right now, so thank you for just taking time so we could sit down and have this conversation before I leave. Well, you're most welcome, and I enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> All right, thank you, Christine, for making time in your busy schedule and working with my hectic end of Austin's schedule to sit down with me and talk. I am so glad that we did. And thank you, audience, for tuning in, for being part of the conversation. And big thanks again in advance for your patience with all of the sound issues. Hopefully they weren't too bad. Again, I have to record these by sending before I send it off, but lesson learned in a big way won't happen again. Next episode is August 16th featuring Lorraine Patton. We're going to record that this weekend. I'm super excited. I've been appreciating Lorraine's uh, work for a while now. So I was super excited to open that podcast interest form and see Lorraine's name there. So very excited.
If you want to be part of the podcast, go to culinarysidejiki.com, click the join the conversation link, fill out the form, and I will get back to you. All right, August 30th. So we have a bonus Tuesday in August, and back in May, I for the uh, bonus Tuesday, I did a uh, themed community uh, submissions around the uh, uh, food relating to summer holidays. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and I also want to shake it up. And uh, I'm having fun uh, with the podcast. So I want to do a podcast open mic for our bonus Tuesday in August. So how that works. I'm going to put a link in the show notes where you can send me a voice message. It's going to go right to Anchor, which is my podcast hosting service. And then I'm just going to sort of collect them and put them all in. So again, I'm going to stick with a theme. Since that's going to be August 30th, right before that transition into September, I'm going to ask that the theme be structured around sort of early autumn to mid-autumn food that sort of maybe transition, food that speaks to that sort of transitional time of the year. So here's how it works. You're going to click the link to record the voice memo. Include, start with your name. And if you use a pseudonym, A-OK, definitely fine. If you are comfortable putting your location, uh, indicating your location, uh, say that, and then uh, record up to two haiku, and please read each haiku twice. So, as a reminder, the theme is early to mid-autumn food. You will click the link in the show notes to go to the voice memo recording page, and you will say your name or pen name. If you're comfortable, say where you're recording from, and up to two haiku that fit the theme, please read each haiku twice. Hopefully that's clear. I'll also put up a blog post at some point next week detailing that and uh, including the link. And if for some reason, you know, I set the link up and it doesn't work, just let me know. Definitely. I, uh, I'll definitely want to hear from you on that. This is something new I'm trying. Hopefully it works. All right, have a great transition. Uh, still feeling pretty summery, but we are moving into autumn in the haiku calendar, in that lunar calendar. So enjoy your transitional season, and thank you for listening. <laughs>